Real Presence Live. That which is beautiful will manifest itself in truth and in goodness. Local. The challenges that we're facing in our generation, we just need the gospel. I mean, every every culture, every generation just needs to know how the gospel applies. Engaging. We don't bring any life at all to the church. The church is, is the life. It gives us the life. Live. The reality is, He is all things beautiful, capital B. And so anything that is authentically beautiful draws us, even if we don't realize it, to God. Good morning. This is Dr. Kathleen Kavorik, and we are here fanning the flames today on Real Presence Live at our beautiful Terrasanta Retreat Center. And I was laughing this morning as I was thinking about my intro. I always talk about the beautiful Terrasanta Retreat Center, but it truly, truly is. Everything is greening up here in Rapid City, South Dakota, and um, we're just surrounded by beauty. Um, On this day, though, we are going to be doing a kind of special program, and um, we're going to be looking back at devastation. Um, something that's beautiful now, but that 50 years ago, Rapid City had a devastating flood that came through, and 238 deaths occurred in this flood, which for our our small population here in Rapid City, which at the time was about um, 45,000, this was an incredible devastation for us. But I've entitled the program this morning, Flood of Devastation, Flood of Grace, because uh, we as Catholics, we as Christians know that our Lord is always close by our side in all the trials that we endure. And as I thought about this segment, because again, we're always fanning the flames, so it uh, the focus is on the Holy Spirit, our focus today is going to be on God's miracle-working power in the midst of of the trial that we went through with the Rapid City Flood back in 1972. Thinking thinking about this, you know, I thought, you know, when you think it over, it's like, it's hard for us as human beings to understand, you know, why does God allow these natural disasters that we undergo or, or at times loss and grief that we endure or I look at the shooting that just happened in Tulsa or the ones that happened in Texas and we cannot begin to know, um, you know, why the Lord allows it. You know, we know there's natural law that he set up, so, you know, some of it is consequence of our actions. But you look at something like the Rapid City Flood that was just a pure natural disaster, and it's just difficult for us to to understand. But now that we're 50 years out and we can um, look back, there are just some really amazing things that we see happen right in the middle of the flood, and some beauty that God has developed over the years following the flood. Um, a beautiful sense here in Rapid City of our community coming together like uh, nothing I had ever seen. I was just like 14 or something like that at the time. No, maybe 13. But um, I, I was so impressed with our community. But I would give the credit to God while working through his people. So um, I'd like to just tell you a little overview about the program. I'm so happy to have Kathy Cordes here with me. And she is the archivist for the Rapid City Diocese, and I'll introduce her in a minute. I'm going to be talking, too, in detail um, uh, with 
a story from Sharon Weber, who's actually my dad's first cousin, which I don't know, does that make her my second cousin or my first cousin once removed or whatever it is? We had a delightful conversation um, about her experience. She was the head nurse at the time of the emergency department of the hospital where everyone got sent to because the other hospital actually uh, was in the flood. Um, so we, we will be sharing with you lots of stories and experiences in this first hour. In the second hour, you're going to hear from two gentlemen, Ed Lee and Leon Fenhouse, who have a firsthand story of riding out the flood. So um, I'm hoping that you can just kind of enter into their experience and um, see what that feels like. And you can hear where they are now 50 years later. So I would like to start, I always like to bookend the program in prayer, and so I would like to start with some reflections and words and an ending prayer from the 20th anniversary celebration, and these are from our dear Monsignor O'Connell, which people knew him as Father Bill, Um, i called him OC, and a number of other people did. Um, He was very beloved in our area, and he was very instrumental in his leadership um, during the flood and um, in developing um, disaster disaster plans following the flood, too, so that such a disaster would never happen again. So I would like to start as we begin in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit with his reflections. And you have to picture, I think he was out in the park, in Memorial Park, when he gave this talk. He says, sirens and bells have sounded, and for some of us, memories are now raw. I shall always remember my first journey through the temporary morgues, and then later, journeys with friends to hopefully, positively identify a family member. I shall never forget the marathon of burials at Black Hills National, Pine Lawn, Mountain View, and Mount Calvary, while Indian families took their dead to be buried on the Pine Ridge, Cheyenne, and Rosebud Reservations. I learned that people dealt with death in a variety of ways. I came to appreciate especially the way of our Native brothers and sisters. They took the time to mourn, to grieve their loss. Would that more of us had done that then. Sirens and bells have sounded, and for those of us who lived through June 9th and the months that followed, memories are strong. But for the moment, I ask you to stand with me before the God of silence, for silence is what we need. Silence is that sanctuary where memories again take life. Silence, to see again the faces of those we loved and lost, to remember things as once they were. Silence, to recognize the echo of sorrow's cry within our hearts, a distant cry made present in this hour. Silence, that sings in harmony with earth and sky, with the Creator and with all creatures. Silence in this very place gives us an awareness of life itself. Silence on this 20th anniversary day in this memorial park to recall the fleeting passage of life itself. But silence is not only the sanctuary of sacred memories, it is the place of dreams and visions of what can be for us 
for our families and our community as we feel the wind's gentle breath and hear the rustles of the trees as the gurgling water of the creek blends with the song of birds in flight. As the laughter of little children proclaims the future's hope, the silence of this moment brings us to renew our dedication to a new day for all who live within our city. And so we pray. God, known by many names, by many people, in the silence of our hearts, we gratefully remember the gifts of those who died this day. In the silence of our hearts, we ask that you bless and strengthen those who remain. In the silence of our hearts, we ask your courage to continue to build a community of loving service. We ask this in your eternal name. Amen. So as as we begin, I'm going to, without further ado, introduce, introduce you to Kathy, who is our archivist at the uh, Diocese of Rapid City. So um, Kathy, I'll let you give a little snapshot of yourself to our listeners. I know they've heard you before, but Good. Good morning. <laughs> tell us about yourself. Good morning. My name is Kathy Cordes. I am the archivist for the Diocese of Rapid City, which includes the entire Western diocese and all our churches and I do what I can to help uh, promote and keep and preserve our history and that's where this where my project started coming into the 1972 flood do you want me to expand on that yeah yes okay okay in in March when the public library and the journey museum were putting on their public forums to decide what to do what not to do I attended those meetings and I realized how important part that our Catholic Church and our diocese had in this flood. Not only did Father Bill Monsignor O.C. Um, begin the uh, process of rebuilding, but we lost Father Collins also at St. Isaac Jokes. He lost his life in the flood. And to honor him and all the victims of the flood. And to preserve our Catholic history, because as one gentleman said at this meeting, was... The next 20th commemoration or even 50th commemoration of this event, we are not going to have many survivors left. Our children, my children, do not realize how devastating this flood was. Um, I was only seven-ish at the time. I did not have devastation and did not realize the scope of this flood. And when I started this research on this project, I was not only devastated and honoring our victims, but very proud of the Rapid City Board, the mayor, um, all his constituents that that, um, preserved Rapid City and made us the beautiful city that we are today. Um, And in Monsignor O.C.'s words, I'm going to say disaster is a graced moment, he said. God touches us through the suffering of others, and he has time and time again through that suffering, let's look for the grace and for the good and our beautiful bike path that we enjoy. We're just, um, I am just honored to be here and share some of these stories. And, uh, you know, and Kathy, yeah. you hadn't shared that with me of his words. And I'm just, the way it matches up with the title. Right. Just right. That, that I felt the Lord gave right. me. That is so very right. cool. And I find that personal too. Disaster is a graced moment. Look for that grace and that disaster. It's it's huge. It's huge to live with. Um, 
it's beautiful. So if we can share some of these stories that have been cathartic for all of us. Yes, yes. I, I thought, too, for the listeners, and we can kind of go back mm-hmm. and forth on this, that we could share a few of the statistics from the flood, because many people, you know, like you're talking about, mm-hmm. Kathy, don't know anything about the flood. Right. I mean, to us here, it was a disaster on par with 9-11, right. you know, considering the size of our population to lose 238 people. It was like everybody in Rapid City knew someone who had died. You know, for me, it was a, a, na- a neighbor that when we had lived in town, um, for Sharon Weber, who's whose story I'm going to tell you, the doctor that worked by her side that night lost his mother. You know, everyone lost someone they knew or, um, you know, every, you know, so many people. I I was just out to lunch with friends, you know, probably six months ago and somehow we had never talked about the flood and we started talking about flood stories and Mm -hmm. I had had no idea that these old grade school friends, one of them had, um, had actually, they had had like a human lifeline, all these teenagers holding onto hands to try to rescue someone. And she talked about how traumatic that was, um, you know, they were holding on for everything they had. Mm-hmm. So um, it's it just for us here in Rapid City, it's been an amazing experience. It has. And 50 years later, I'm the tears that come and the pain that is still present in these people. It was just yeah. you know, a, God, a God moment that was tearful. Yes. Yes, and, and that he was with us the way he was. So listeners, um, we'll just share a few of the with you to kind of paint this picture before we start in to some of the stories. So I already mentioned 238 people died and um, one place the USGS documented that 3,057 people were injured and 118 needed hospital care. Um, The age range was huge from three months old to 94 years old and 25% 25% were over 60, 30% under 30, and 10% were tourists. And I had never really thought about that. So they came from like, you know, it was summertime here. And we're a great tourist mecca. Uh, for those of you who haven't been to the Black Hills, please come out sometime. Um, but 13 states and France were represented with, with people who um, died in that. And it's interesting, too, that... Only 29 people had flood insurance policies in place. So this was financially incredibly devastating, too. It was documented that 770 permanent homes and 565 mobile homes were destroyed. And 2,035 homes damaged and 785 um, trailers were damaged. So mobile homes. So... Just like an incredible amount of destruction. Correct. And back then, they had said $164 million in damages in 1972. In today's dollars, that would be in the billions. Yes. I mean, uh, just it's for Rapid City, you're right, for South Dakota, that is amazingly right. Yeah, it's just incredible. Well, we're going to go to break right now, but stay with us. We've got a few more stats and a lot more stories. So stay with us here on Real Presence Live. Stay with us. There's more Real Presence Live to come on the Real Presence Radio Network. 
know a priest who has made a difference in your life or at your parish, one who has helped you through a loss, discern an important decision, or celebrated the sacraments with you and your family? Real Presence Radio would like to know about these amazing priests. Visit our website at realpresenceradio.com slash contact to nominate your priest. And each week on Real Presence Live, we will recognize one of our priests with a dozen donuts generously donated by a local business. Help us honor our fathers by nominating your priest today. Hello, this is Mike Kidrowski, Director of Advancement for Real Presence Radio with a creative gift planning tip. Have interruptions impacted your charitable giving? If you feel like you have less to give this year or are waiting until you get through these recent challenges, we want to let you know about some creative gift options that won't cost you a dime this year. For example, you could designate Real Presence Radio as the beneficiary of all or percentage of your IRA or make RPR beneficiary of a percentage of your estate or specific asset. Make a bequest commitment gift this year without impacting your savings or investments. To learn more about the benefits of making a charitable bequest, please visit our plan giving website at rprlegacy.org or call me at 701-290-4503. Let's get started. I'm Carrie Dew, Executive Director of Riverview Place. I've worked my entire career in healthcare as a social worker in the hospital, skilled nursing, and hospice settings. I love my job. Not only do I get to work with a caring, dedicated team that displays human kindness to every resident, it's a privilege to offer seniors a lifestyle that reminds me of what it felt like to grow up in the small rural town of Buffalo, North Dakota. To join our faith-based community, call us today for a tour at 701-412-1952. You're listening to Real Presence Live. Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard right here on the RPR Network. Hi, this is Kathleen Kavorik, and I'm here with uh, Kathy Cordes from the Rapid City Diocese. She's our archivist, and we are talking about um, the Rapid City Flood. And we're talking about the devastation, and we're talking about the grace. So we're, we're just finishing talking about um, some of the statistics and talking about the destruction. And to add to all those houses that were destroyed, there were like 5,000 cars that were destroyed. And some of you listeners may have even seen uh, kind of the classic picture of these cars all piled up like dominoes on their side. Um, it was it was incredible the power of this of this water and they talked about it as being a wall of water that came through our city and some things that contributed to that is that we had a record rainfall in a very short period of time um apparently there was up to 15 inches in six hours near Nemo up in the hills. And they recorded more than 10 inches that fell over an area of 60 miles. And this kind of all came together to create our horrible disaster. We've kind of got unique geography, too, in the hills and leading into Rapid City. There are a lot of of steep canyons and cliffs and that all consolidated that water coming together. And then further, Kathy, you remember the about Canyon Lake Dam breaking, and, and that then, of course, just added more water to the mix and destroyed all the houses down below that. 
And and as Kathy had said, there were 164 million in damages altogether. So that was super, super significant. Um, and you will hear more about, I think when you hear the firsthand story of Ed and Leon, the second hour, um, you'll get real clear images, maybe maybe ones you don't want to have. We don't really want to have have you all have nightmares, but we, we also want to share the reality of what went on. Mm-hmm. So we're going to start in this next section and kind of focus on both miracles and there were a lot of God incidences that happened in the midst of this horrendous flood. Um, so I thought we would start with a few of the sorrows. Kathy, you had mentioned that Father Collins, and he was at the Mother Butler Center. He was a Jesuit, is that right? Correct. Yes, mm-hmm. and that he died in the flood. He died in the flood. They had He had a parishioner. Um, they found him in the kitchen between the stove and the wall, um, Reportedly, trying they think trying to turn off the gas, so they had found him the next day. So that was a really a huge devastation to Saint Isaac Jokes. He was a wonderful man. He was had worked on in Pine Ridge for many years and just had a great love for the Indian people, and um, he just he just was there their beacon of love and that's what one of the quotes says one of the stories he was full of love he would cook up something in his kitchen if you came to the back door and he would feed you doesn't matter who you were or what you were he would always take the time to stop and he would visit with you and they said he was a friend of everybody in rapid city and they were just people were devastated devastated over his loss one uh, story that someone had told me about father collins was he had a donut maker in his kitchen and he would make donuts for the kids every time they would come and the kids would come just for donuts and he would make them up special so um they call him the stale donuts man. If they ate stale donuts, so did he. If you know, if they could only drink water because that's all they could afford, so did he. He was right in with them in their day to day. He also um, made it known, would like it to known that um, in the statistics, uh, Native Americans suffered 25 percent of the fatalities um, because their oh homes goodness. were somewhat fl- flimsy along the. What they call this article calls Rapid Creek a lazy creek. Now I've not ever seen it be lazy. You know, it's pretty powerful today. So that was really interesting there, and that um, he and OC there was no individual funerals at that time. There were mass funerals, yes. and everyone, no matter wealth, Indian, whatever, they all had the same caskets. So that was huge. The same type of caskets went to Pyman Ridge as they were here in Rapid City building these mass mass funeral graves. Um, You can just imagine the heartbreak of families at a mass funeral. Oh yeah, you know. So, um, and I actually can't imagine it. Right, I just I can't, can't either imagine it. Yeah, nor can I imagine. I was reading a little blurb that talked about um, how the police went out and they actually they actually put U-hauls on their vehicles to collect the dead bodies. Right, right, unreal. Right, one unreal. one uh, teenager said it was she was a teenager working at the cathedral and she was by herself that night. But she would watch the refrigerated trucks come in, oh. and we'll talk about the role that the, the cathedral basement and the perpetual help school played at that time yeah. with these. And I can imagine that that's a scene that you'll never forget. 
Yes, yes. You, you live with those images all your life. Correct. You know, I was thinking of, too, the Mother Butler Center where Father Collins died. And it was an amazing place. Like my dad, who was an obstetrician gynecologist, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. he would volunteer his day off midweek to go down and do free, you know, free mm-hmm. exams of, of right. you know, the pregnant yeah, women. Right. He would follow them. And you know, so it was a you know it was a health clinic, right. all of those things, and that was all wiped out. There was four buildings there. Um, there was the Trading Post. There was the church, the Mother Butler Center, and what we today's world called the Friendship House, which is no longer there. So the Friendship House, Madonna Hall, it was called oh, back yes. then. That did survive. Uh-huh. The rest were destroyed, completely destroyed. And we have some wonderful stories by Sister Eleanor and Sister Lorraine. Of, of they were actually living in there during the flood. So um, their story, their yeah. stories are amazing. They, um, they were on the second floor, and they had heard that um, Father Edwards was there with Father Collins, and they heard the night before, you know, rain, rain's coming, you know, which we hear a lot, you know, could be possible flooding. So they figured their basement would flood, you know, we'll deal with it in the morning, you know, kind of thing that we usually do. They all went to bed and didn't realize the devastation that was coming. Um, someone woke them up like at 2 or 3 a.m. and they were watching the trailer park homes that were behind them float away just either float away in the wa- in tremendous water or they would sink in all the mud. They wow. would just watch these trailers just float, float. So they stayed on the second floor. Sister Lorraine, they put two candles in the windows. Um, I think that was kind of a prayer thing. She says it was to make people aware that they were there. Uh, so between uh-huh. the two things, but I think that was a, a you know wow. a prayer, a light. You know, you know and a night. don't you wonder how the people who maybe some people floating away out there right. saw that light maybe you know who knows right That's like beautiful. we have to grab on the grace of that yes and and you know they just would watch these um trailer parks you know trailer park homes float away but one trailer home in particular floated right into the back of their house and got lodged there it was kind of yes. the peak roof of that olden days style yeah but got lodged in that peak there was an airman and his wife and a baby in that trailer park. So they eventually climbed out onto this peak and came into the second floor where they were at. I'm hope I, I hope I'm reporting the story yeah. correctly, but it's a phenomenal story. But their trailer home was completely dry and survived. It was the only oh one that gosh. survived through this whole night flood. And remember, this is all at nighttime. Yes. You know, so... How scary is this? You know, know? people talk about, and I think Ed and Leon will Mm -hmm. talk about that, of how dark the darkness was. All the streetlights are out. Um, You know, the electricity is out. And it's it sounded, one person described it like being in the depths of a cave when they turn all the lights out. How dark it is, but how peaceful and quiet. And they would hear the, the crickets or chirping, but how peaceful it was. Aside oh. from the roaring of the water, I've, which is, I've not it, heard that, which is an odd 
odd analogy, you know, to yeah. have it be peaceful. But the smell was horrendous. Yes. So I don't know where the smell was starting other than the, the mud and the silt coming in. You know, you and, know, and I've heard other reports that did not sound very peaceful because it was cars crashing, okay. houses crashing, right. trees coming down. Right. And people um, screaming. People screaming. Help people floating by. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. So right. they might have just been in a kind right. of a blessed little spot Maybe there. Or early. That, and they said the sky was beautiful. Yes. It was greens and all colors. And Sister Eleanor was, she was telling me this, and her eyes just lit up about how beautiful the sky was. And, and people also talked yeah. about that the next morning. Right. I was I was reading about that also, I think maybe in uh, Mayor Barnett's comments about how beautiful and peaceful it was the next day. So just, I mean, just some absolutely amazing experiences. You know, it was wonderful, too, in this time, how across religions, so many different churches, ministries got involved. In fact, I heard some stories about a local Salvation Army commander whose name was G. William Medley, and it sounded like he and his wife were so heroic, and he died trying to get his truck across waters, it sounded like, to carry more people to safety. And then nevertheless, despite the fact, and his wife's name was Joy, despite, isn't that sweet, um, despite that tragedy, she lost her husband, they went ahead, the Salvation Army went ahead and provided meals for survivors. Um, Apparently it said 27,000 meals were provided by the Salvation Army in the first three days of recovery, and they went on through the summer to serve through the summer and provide meals. So just really, really, really incredible. So we've got more stories to come, listeners, and please please stay with us. We don't want to um, have you in a post-traumatic stress state with us, but um, I think that I think that there is a there's a lot of beauty to be found, a lot of gems to be found in the midst of this tragedy, and so stay with us as uh, Kathy and I, the Kathy and Kathy team. Um, delve more into more into stories of those God incidences and miracles that happened in the midst of the 1972 Rapid City Flood. We'll be back soon. Live, engaging, and local, this is Real Presence Live, where we bring you positive and uplifting stories and share the great things happening in our local area on the Real Presence Radio Network. Real Presence Radio is available on Alexa-enabled devices, including Amazon Echo, phones, tablets, and smart displays. To enable the skill, just say, Alexa, enable Real Presence Radio. To listen, say something like, Alexa, open Real Presence Radio. It will then ask what station you want to play. To which you can respond, play Sioux Falls, or play AM970, or play WWEN. From there, you can use commands like play, pause, and stop. Listen to RPR anytime, anywhere on Alexa-enabled devices. If you have ever been through the hell of deep darkness and suffering, like the suicide of a loved one, do you know that your experience may be helpful to someone else? I'm Father Chris Alar. Mercy is defined as a particular mode of love that when love encounters suffering, it does something about it. And when you exercise the corporal and spiritual works of mercy, you are truly loving your neighbor. 
Jesus said, when a soul approaches me with trust, I fill it with an abundance of graces that it cannot contain it within itself, but radiates them to other souls. Let us show you how to be that radiator and find healing for yourself in the process. Please visit suicideandhope.com so I can personally pray for anyone you've lost and to get our book after suicide, There's Hope for Them and You, which helps with any kind of suffering or loss, not just suicide. I promise it will help. It's no secret that parents and students alike love the University of Mary, the nation's most affordable, serious Catholic university. The Mary community provides students with a home away from home, one that is grounded in the rich vibrancy of the church. With nearly 60-degree programs, 18 NCAA Division II athletic teams, and a thriving university ministry program, there's something for everyone. Find your place at Mary. Visit cometomary.life. listening to Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Join the conversation on our Facebook page or on Twitter, and be sure to like and follow us for more great Catholic content. Now, back to the show. This is Dr. Kathleen Kavorik, and I'm here with another Kathy, the Kathy and Kathy Show. Uh, Kathy's the archivist for the Rapid City Diocese, and we are talking today about um, about the Rapid City Flood that happened in 1972, and we are approaching the 50th anniversary of the flood um, on the 9th of June, which I think the 9th of June, everyone in this area who, who was in the flood at the time certainly remembers that date. It's, it's kind of etched on us as, for the people in New York, 9-11 is etched in their memory. So we are here talking about some of the stories of... Um, people who who were in right in the midst of the flood. So um, I read a book by a, a young woman, well, she was young at the time, called Merlin Magner. And uh, it was very interesting firsthand story of her flood experience. And the tragedy for Merlin is she lost almost her entire family in the flood, a brother, her parents. And, you know, when she describes the evening, her parents had just gone over to neighbors, it sounded like, for cocktails. And she was catching up. I I can't remember exactly if she was 18 or around that. She was catching up with her 20-something brother who was also home at the time. They were visiting. And, you know, they were just having a relaxing evening as this whole flood scene ensued and um, she actually you know her brother had to get up on the roof and they they lost hands and she went floating off but she ended up on the roof of um, of a of like a brand new townhouse and she lived and her brother died and her parents died and in one scene it was uh, I just could not imagine it for all you mothers out there. Her mother actually saw her float by. She, they like caught eyes. And, uh, you know, I, you just can't imagine that as a parent watching your child float by, not being able to do anything. But again, the miracle is about that roof that she landed on and um, that saved her life. And she did have one other brother, Bill, who was in the military, and so that 
she did have that one connection. But a huge tragedy that colored her entire life. Um, And I'm sure that writing her book, which was called Come Into the Water, a survivor story, I'm sure that that was very therapeutic. But at the time, very little was known about dealing with post-traumatic stress, such as was endured by people who went through the flood. So I think there was just a lot of stuffing of the experience that went on. You know, I think we didn't even know to talk about it. So again, if there are any listeners out there, you know, um, you know, please seek, please seek some help and some counseling or spiritual direction or, you know, um, or a, a friend's ear to retell your story because it's really, really important in the healing process, I believe. It's important that we remember our history and yes. that we remember these people and honor these people and their victims. And I can't help in thinking for Merlin what a grace that was that she was able to see her mother. Yes. I yes. mean, maybe that might take 50 years to realize, but yes, that's amazing. Yes, that they had. Right. She that had they a had last that, look. That contact, and uh, that was full of words. I bet that was full mm. of so many words from mother to daughter. Yes, and that her brother was so trying to... You know, help her rescue her. Right. You know their connection, right. um, and and she very much in her book shares how great she felt to have a family so full of love. Mm-hmm. And there's you know that foundation is mm-hmm. so so important. It is. And talking of PTSD, Carol, who told me her story, yeah. says she didn't realize she had PTSD until she came to the Journey's um, 40th anniversary commemoration of the flood, and when she saw those pictures. Then she realized how much PTSD she really had, yeah. and it's really come full force. And she's never shared her story before, except for this fifty years later. And her and her family were camping somewhere up in the hills. Um, she wasn't sure where which campground, but it was one of those campgrounds that has all the cabins along, you know, along the you, creek, right, along yes. the creek, and you stay in a cabin, and then it has the big house, the registration house with the pool. You know, they're sitting up on the oh, hill, yeah. that kind of a campground. So I imagine a KOA back then, uh-huh. kind of campground. Um, and she talks about how they were in this cabin, and it had a big stained glass, or not stained glass. I'm sorry, uh, living room window. And it was just like being in an aquarium. They were oh watching the water go up and up and down. So their mother and um, father were saying, okay, we need to get upstairs. For some reason, her mother took her shoes off and laid them on the uh, laid them on the couch. She took Carol's shoes she off. She took Carol's uh-huh. shoes uh-huh. off. Okay. Not sure why, you know, because they were going to go upstairs to the attic. So they went up, the whole family went upstairs to the attic, which is another beautiful story. She has to. But they went upstairs to the attic, and they would look down, and the stairs were full, not full, but the water was up to the stairs. So they stayed in wow. the, the attic. Then the dad decided, well, let's go get the car, and then we're going to leave in this car. So they all, and I imagine, again, I'm imagining the story as she's telling me, they all kind of hold hands and walk out to this car. The dad grabs the car handle, and it's floating in water. And so, you know, as a dad would do is tries to save the car from floating away. So they're watching this, and Carol mentions, she said, this is the first day my dad has ever worn tennis shoes. If he would have been wearing his dress shoes, we would have slipped away. Oh, wow. But since he had these tennis shoes on, you know, they eventually the car floated away anyway. And so they see see the gen- the owner of the campground probably sitting up in here in his um, hilltop house saying, come to me, come to me. And by that time, the water was up to their necks kind of thing. So they're walking 
or however floating to this guy. The gentleman sees a tree that's going to mow us down, in her words, just mow us down. So he jumps down into the water. He he stops this tree from, you know, really getting rid of this family. And as he does, this gentleman floats away. The owner oh of the floats away. So the kids watch this. And as they, and so they eventually, they are being pushed up to the house. So they got to safety in the hill of the house. And they didn't know what happened to the owner, this big gentleman. He was a big, big guy, uh-huh. Carol says. And as they're up into this house, another kind of a peaked roof type, you know, that was popular in the 70s. They're looking out across the cabin, and they see this family. And they're the mom and the dad are on the house and scared that their son is going to float away. So they put their son in a tree, which is right next to each other. And remember, this is at night, complete dark. The mom sings lullabies, kids' songs. I Aww. can imagine all night to this kid. When the mom would wow. stop from being exhausted, Carol's mom would pick up the singing. And oh. <laughs> can you? I can't even, you know, and they had just, you know, everybody was fine the next day. A much longer story. Back to the shoes of Carol's. Then when they went down, here's this couch cushion floating with her dry shoes on it. <laughs> oh my her goodness. shoes were dry. <laughs> But the rest of the house, you know, and was completely right. The flooded. shoes and they are, are they right, floating on a cushion, right? Like they're floating Cinderella on this cushion. Slippers. <laughs> but the the little boy, I imagine him little, was in the tree, and he was so he had put his fingers so deeply in this tree that she says they had to break his fingers to get him oh out of the tree. Gosh. I mean, he was I could imagine petrified, 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 beyond petrified when his mom and dad are on this roof across. Oh. I mean, she's got so much, such a beautiful story that she shared and like i said she didn't realize she had ps ptsd until she came to see so a quick plug-in for the journey and the, the city next week they've got some phenomenal yes. uh, programs and they are that schedule the programs for next week is online if you want to check that out but yeah phenomenal. And, and i hope for healing for some people mm-hmm. who have not been able to look back like carol Mm-hmm. And thanks, Carol, for share, for right. sharing your story. If you're listening today, that's that's amazing. I can I can just see those little shoes. I do too. That and I, re- just so I imagine them red. Sweet. She said, "No, they were brown." But I'm like, I think they were red because of the grace of God of glory. They had to be red, you know, <laughs> like the Pope's shoes. They were red. You know? <laughs> so it's funny those images you right, get in your right, mind. Right. I love that. I love that. That's great. So in the flood, there were a lot of kind of close. Calls and near misses that you know end up being little mini miracles. I think um, so. Kathy, you had one um, from one of the sisters about Sister Bernice and Sister Bernice. When I, when the one year I went to St. Martin's Academy, um, <laughs> Sister Bernice was my biology teacher, oh, wow. and she was a kick in the pants. Okay, she, one day she told us I can lose like thirty or forty pounds whenever I want to, and we're like. And and she said, well, guess, you know, and so we all kept guessing ways she could lose 30 or 40 pounds, you know, and several days later she removes, well, I'll just cut off my leg. (laughs) She was was funny. We absolutely loved her. Right. And that's what I hear. She was a very outdoorsy, loved to hike kind of person. And she was the head nurse at uh, Bennett Clarkson um, nursing home that was right next to St. John's at the time. And she, um, she knew the basement was flooding. They were on the first floor. So she's evacuating everyone upstairs. 
but and some pe- she sees some people get in the elevator, and for some reason they hit the down button, which w- was you know the basement was flooded. So here she goes running out to her car to pick up her crowbar, and like Sister Lorraine says, who would have a crowbar? What sister, <laughs> sister would have a crowbar <laughs> in her car? But but when Sister uh, Bernice went out there, she didn't realize how high the water was. So by the grace of God, here comes two National Guardsmen who floated her back into the nursing home. I mean, she would probably wouldn't have made it, but I don't know, by herself. You just, you know, don't know. Anyway, they got the crowbar, uh, got the people out of the basement, because it was completely flooded. I mean... Boy, would that be scary, to be, be locked down in but a basement. But to be that quick-witted, a Sister Bernice, to, okay, got to get my crowbar, you know, it's like... She was sharp. Right? <laughs> she was sharp. We, we didn't get... We didn't... Uh, we didn't get away with anything <laughs> with her. <laughs> But that is, I love that. That is a great story. Yeah. How about, um, you had one about about Father Richard Pates, and maybe we can start on that before break? Um, not necessarily about Father Pates, because he came a little bit after, he came to replace Father Collins, or, not, or oh, to okay. help with Father Collins. But where the bishop was, and this is really interesting, because I'm looking through all of our priest history to see what priests are still here, or still living, that... Um, can tell us about the flood, and we don't have any that are not passed have not passed away. But Father Dan, I asked him, and he was that night in Ralph, South Dakota, being ordained a deacon. So that's where the bishop and Monsignor O'Connell were. They were up in Ralph, South Dakota, and they're coming back, not realizing how bad it is in Rapid City, um, and they're planning on driving. Okay, and they, listeners, we're going to leave you hanging on oh, that one okay, as we, we as we go to a short yeah. break here. Yeah. So. Um, Come on back with us here on Real Presence Live, and Kathy will tell you the rest of that story. Perfect. All right. We'll be back with you soon. This is Real Presence Live, where the focus is not on the evil around us, but on conversion and mercy through the good news that is always good. We're local, engaging, and live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Hi, this is Dr. Ryan Sapo from Lumen Vision in Fargo. In addition to eye exams for children and adults, LumenVision provides custom contact lens services for patients with keratoconus, severe dry eyes, and hard-to-fit prescriptions. These specialty contact lenses can be made for single vision, astigmatism, and multifocal prescriptions. For more information about LumenVision's contact lens services, our website is www.lumen.vision. Of course, for the faithful and also for those who are maybe Maybe even those who are on the fence or who aren't even Catholic, it's a wonderful opportunity where you're just kind of browsing the radio and then all of a sudden, hey, what's this? And I've heard a number of stories of uh, even non-Catholics and somebody who's maybe been Catholic, but they kind of fell away from the faith and kind of they're, they're kind of secretly listening to Real Presence Radio as they drive to work or as they're a farmer and they're out in the fields and just kind of how they have been inspired by the truth of the gospel and our many uh, good speakers um, on the radio uh, sharing the truth of Christ and uh, and his mercy and and of course uh, for the faithful um, probably the majority of who are listening to Catholic radio um, we're always built up um, through the gift of the gospel. This is Connie Paintner from Blessed Sacrament in West Fargo. Thank you for listening to Real Presence Radio. Rose Management is a family-owned business that believes in good morals, doing the right thing, and treating our residents as family. Rose Management provides housing to complexes throughout North Dakota and Minnesota. 
All Rose Management's properties and our maintenance staff are in a centralized location in their cities. For questions, Rose Management can be reached at 701-237-6840 or online at rosemanagement.net. Again, that number is 701-237-6840. This is Real Presence Live on the RPR Network. Bringing you stories of faith and hope through local hosts and guests from across the Upper Midwest. Now, back to the show. This is Kathleen Kvork, and I'm here with Kathy Cortez. And we are um, fanning the flames of the Holy Spirit with our topic today, looking at some of God's miracles excuse me, and His grace in the midst of the flood of devastation of the Rapid City Flood of 1972. And we're just sharing some different stories. Kathy had just started on one story. I'll let you continue, Kathy. We were driving back. Is that where I left off as? We were (laughs) Bishop, and it would have been Bishop Dimmerling at the time, and uh, Father Bill, which was Monsignor O'Connell, were driving back. And I think there was one other with them, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure who was driving. But they're on their way back to Sturgis, not realizing the flood happening in Rapid City yet. So they get all the way to Sturgis and are planning to come into Rapid City, and then someone tells them, well, you can't drive, the roads are closed. So reports say that they tried to hire a helicopter, but they're all out, they're busy, the National Guard's all busy, he couldn't get his plane to come, Um, he just couldn't get here. So they ended up staying the night in Sturgis, and the next day they came in from Rapid City, um, and were just could not believe the devastation, could not believe the, the cathedral and what, what the Red Cross has, was already done. They activated right away. Everybody in Rapid City just knew what to do in Sister Eleanor's words. They just knew what to do. There was no uh, panicking. I'm sure there was panicking, but people just knew what to do. They knew to set up, where to set up the Red Cross um, facilities, and they knew how to take care of each other. They knew to feed each other. The... Um, the the local dairy downtown, and I forget their name, but it's a very popular name, had lost their freezers, all their freezers. So they had all this ice cream they had to get rid of. So every night at the cathedral, they had an ice cream social. You know, <laughs> so so there are some beauties in, in all of midst. this of what happened. You know, at the basement of the cathedral. Um, so um, so anyway, Father O.C. or Father Bill Monsignor O'Connell told Father Dan that. You know, not everybody's going to remember the day you were ordained a priest, but everybody's going to remember your diaconate. You know? <laughs> so, the sure. night of the flood in South Dakota. So that was amazing, that. right? You know, and Kathy, you you kind of alluded to the God its incidents of the National Guard being here for their summer camp, mm-hmm. which you know here we've got all these people who are trained and ready to go into action. So is that not an incredible God incident? Right. Um, our mayor at the time was a very young mayor, and we'll talk a little bit more about him, hopefully, um, who he was, I think he was one of the youngest mayors in the entire country when he was made mayor at 28. He was a Vietnam vet, which, again, you look at God incidences, and you know, I'm sure having been in Vietnam, that one would be uh, more able to, you know, act under pressure. But so I have some quotes from the then mayor, Don Barnett, and he says about the National Guard, he said, by a fortunate coincidence, and of course I call that a God incidence, um, the South Dakota National Guard had assembled in Rapid City for their regular summer encampment, and the guardsmen were at their camp and on the west side of the city on that Friday evening. 
Under the leadership of Major General Dwayne L. Corning, the men instantly moved into a highly professional and courageous rescue mode. They brought bulldozers, cranes, trucks, and other equipment to the banks of Rapid City and saved dozens and dozens of victims. Um, Major Mayor Barnett said, I had nothing to do with the assignment or use of these men, but they were highly disciplined and well-trained, and they worked absolute wonders during the night and throughout the next several weeks. Without their presence, the number of casualties would have been far greater. The price, however, was high. Several guardsmen were killed as they put their lives on the line to rescue and help perfect strangers. So... um, Boy, we sit in gratitude for that selfless service of the National Guard uh, back then and now, still. Um, amazing, amazing people that, uh, that give themselves in that way. So we're so grateful for them, for sure. So another uh, huge God incident, Kathy, and you know of this one too, was that there was a death and dying conference that was scheduled. In fact, it had just mm-hmm. started on Friday night. And the keynoter, people had come from all around to hear her because it was Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. And I read her book on death and dying mm-hmm. years ago. And right. she was she was just a pioneer on death and dying at the time. You know, we, we finally were opening up to quit stuffing the stuff about death and dying and learning to deal with it. So her five stages of grief, I mean, she was really well-known at the time. So people came from all over to go to this. Healthcare professionals came from all over, doctors and nurses, to go to this workshop. And I read a little story on Facebook somewhere of a nurse who who they were here, a group of she and her friends, and, and they just pitched right in and helped out. And I'm going to share with you next a little bit from my cousin, Sharon Weber, who is the most extraordinary nurse that I know and just a fantastic person. She's one of these people that when you are around her, you just smile because she's just, she has got such a lovely nature and spirit. And I love her dearly. And so I told her I would tell her story since she didn't really want to be on air today. So um, Sharon had a, an interesting story in the Kubler-Ross part fits into it also. Um, she was the head nurse at St. John's McNamara for the emergency department. And um, so on this day of the flood, they started out, she and her husband, Jean, both had the day off. And so they decided to take their kids out camping. And um, of their five kids, four of them got to bring a friend along. And um, the youngest one, Sharon said, well, she was their friend. I <laughs> didn't get to bring a friend. So they had nine kids out out in the hills. And they were at, um, they were at, at one of those campgrounds in the hills, I think she said Grizzly Gulch, and it just started raining and raining and raining and raining. And so she and Jean brought the kids back home. And so just, again, fortuitous that they were back back in town um, the night of the flood. So without you know going into great details about she eventually got um, a babysitter for the kids. Her husband was out trying to rescue someone out of a tree um, with another friend, and she said um, that it was so interesting when she went in. She said it was like an English movie. It was foggy, dreary, very eerie, you know, not 
not like we are used to. So she goes in and she immediately begins triaging with Dr. Rude at the time. And, um, you know, it sounded like the emergency department was really small. She said they had, she couldn't remember if it was two or four beds, but it was, it was teeny. And of course they had lots of people coming in as you heard. Um, so, you know, um, they, they even too had, you know, they were, well, I guess they hadn't lost power. The other hospital had lost power. Um, so she said, and this is a quote from Sharon, that they had so many volunteers that we couldn't use them all. And that's just amazing that all these people just came forward. She talked about being very concerned about her staff. And there was one person who lived right by the creek that they couldn't find for three days, but she found out that person was helping out in the auditorium and had been working down there for three days. So, um, she and she said it was really another kind of godsend, god incident. Is they had done a disaster drill just the week before, and she said they had all these. She called them bassinets that were filled and ready to go with bandages, with ID bracelets, with everything you would need for that emergent care, that they had just set them up and refilled them, you know, which that wouldn't always be the case. So it was just really, it was really pretty amazing um, the way everything everything came together. Sharon also credits, um, she also credits a young nun, Sister Sardo, who was the hospital administrator at the time. And she just said she was very cool-headed. Um, she said that they, her memory was that they held meetings about every eight hours or so, and they would fill Sister Sardo in, and Sister Sardo would fill them in, and she she just said it was not chaotic, um, and she was really she was really proud of her staff and the way that the way that everything worked there. So that was really that was really a beautiful experience that Sharon shared. Um, you know, we could go on and on. There's much more to that story. So there were just little miracles. Um, Kathy, you had one about the twins. Would you share that one? I would. First, I'd like to also mention mention that we talked about Father Collins who lost his life. But we did have two priests who survived riding out the flood, and I quote that. Uh, Father Edwards has a phenomenal story about him riding on the top of the roof and then the roof hitting the bridge and uh, I could go on and on about his story. And then Father Burning held on to a chandelier all night, and he was in the water. You know, he was neck neck deep in the water, but held on to this chandelier or lights or cabinets or something in the kitchen like that. But he was a heavy smoker and had emphysema. Reportedly, this flood cured his emphysema. So that's, you know, I that's a story that maybe it's a God moment. We don't know that. But... Um, at the next day, and because there was such grief with Father Collins and people were just devastated, Father Pate set up like a counseling. You could come into his office, and there was this line down the road that Sister Ellen was helping people, you know, come in and see Father Pate. There was a mother who came up to her and said, I lost my babies. And here's my tears again. But I lost my babies. I had twins, and they floated away in the water. I couldn't save them. She was just devastated. And so Sister Eleanor went in with her, and Father Pate said, the floodwaters baptized your babies. And I can't even imagine the relief of that mother. 
Yes. Hearing that, because back then we thought, oh, what a disgrace, they're not baptized. Yes. But for him to say those waters baptize those babies. Yeah, And there was God. I mean, that is such, and such and, a moment. And the miracles continue and continue. And we, listeners, stay with us because we will be back to hear Ed and Leon's firsthand story of riding out the flood on a roof. So stay with us here on Real Presence Live. This is Kathleen Kavori. S.J. Machine, proudly named after and dedicated to St. Joseph, provides machining and induction heat treating to a variety of industries. Just as St. Joseph worked diligently to meet his family's needs, S.J. Machine strives to understand and meet our customers' production needs. Prototype to production, working together towards success. S.J. Machine can be reached at 701-347-0155 and are a proud supporter of the Real Presence Radio Network. This is Franciscan Media's Saint of the Day for June 3rd. Today we celebrate St. Charles Luanga and Companions. To many of us, the name of Charles Luanga is unfamiliar, but in most of tropical Africa, he is known and revered as the patron of youth and Catholic action. He and 21 other young Ugandans, aged 13 to 30, were martyred for their faith in 1886. Charles first learned of Christ's teachings in the local chief's court, where he worked as a page. His superior, head page Joseph Mukaso, was martyred for refusing the homosexual advances of the monarch Muwanga. After this, Charles was baptized, taking over the protection and instruction in the faith of his fellow pages. Since those arrested also included Anglican Christians, the total number of those arrested and imprisoned by Mwanga's order is unclear. However, it was Charles's courage and belief in God that inspired them all to remain chaste and faithful to the end. On June 3rd, they were burned to death for their unwillingness to submit to immoral acts. The 22 martyrs of Uganda were canonized by Pope Paul VI in 1964. There's more about the saints along with inspiration and Catholic resources at our website, saintoftheday.org. From Franciscan Media, this has been Saint of the Day. I'm Father Richard Kunst with a Papal Minute. As St. John Paul II was riding through St. Peter's Square in his Popemobile on May 13, 1981, he was shot at close range by a would-be assassin. The Pope narrowly survived multiple gunshot wounds and was rushed to the hospital for emergency surgery. After months of convalescence, he was ready to resume his weekly public audience, only to have his handlers demand the Popemobile be fitted with bulletproof glass. The Pope was none too happy about the idea, and after considerable debate, a compromise was reached. The Pope agreed to have the glass installed provided that it was not bulletproof. The world assumed the new Popemobile was protecting the Pope from possible gunshots, but it was just regular glass, a tightly guarded Vatican secret. John Paul believed that if God wanted to call him home by an assassin's bullet, who is he to stop him? This has been Father Richard Kunst with the Papal Minute. To learn more, visit papalartifacts.com. That's papalartifacts.com. This is Father Richard Kunst. If you enjoyed this Papal Minute, 
You'll want to see the Papal Artifacts Collection on display here in Duluth, Minnesota, August 19th through 21st this summer, 2022. For more information, go to VaticanUnveiled.com. You're listening to Real Presence Live. Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard right here on the RPR Network. This is Dr. Kathleen Kavorik, and I am here today uh, fanning the flames of the Holy Spirit with some, uh, we have two more special guests that are joining us. Ed Lee and Leon Fenhouse are here to share their firsthand experience of uh, riding out the Rapid City Flood. And Kathy Cordes, the uh, archivist for the Diocese of Rapid City, will continue with us this hour and add add more tidbits that she has accumulated also. Uh, we're, today we are talking about the 50th anniversary of the Rapid City Flood, which was a, a huge devastation here. And we're talking not only about the devastation of the flood, but we're talking about God's grace and miracles in the midst of this devastation. So um, I hope uh, that you listeners are you're sticking with us. And uh, if not, there is always, you know, if you've missed parts of it, you might want to go back to the podcast. It's nice that we have that available. So I would like to begin by introducing Ed Lee. And Ed, would you tell us just a little bit about yourself? All right. Uh, Thank you very much for the opportunity. There's so many wonderful stories of the happenings of that night and afterwards. But um, about myself, I was born in Rapid City in 1949 and grew up uh, in a Lutheran uh, family. We attended uh, Trinity Lutheran here in Rapid, and I graduated from Rapid City Central in 1967 and attended the uh, South Dakota School of Mines for a year and then went to Iowa State University for a year and then came back to Black Hill State College, where I graduated then with a business administration degree in 72, the year of the flood. Um, Mary Barb Smolik, my uh, wonderful wife of now almost 48 years. I and, love uh, that. <laughs> and she was a cradle Catholic. And um, we moved from Rapid City uh, in 1976 to the Seattle area. And both of us having been brought up in uh, church families and felt like we were being drugged to church on uh, <laughs> Sundays, we uh, kind of fell away from the church, or we did fall away from the church, and uh, went our merry way for a few years. But then Barb started feeling like she was really missing something, and she thought she wanted to go back to church, but not the Catholic church, she said. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we searched around, and we went to several different denominations, but she finally realized that uh, it was the Eucharist yes. that she was missing. She missed, yes. And uh, not really understanding all that, I but I wanted to support her in that, so we began going to the Catholic church when we were out in Seattle at the time. And I began uh, the RCIA program there. Um, we moved to St. Simon's Island, Georgia, where I then continued that, and then here back to Rapid City in um, 1995, I guess it was. And um, so I finished my RCIA at Blessed Sacrament Church, and we attended there for many years. So... Um, 
my faith, you know, Barb, I was following Barb, basically, in her uh-huh. faith. And then finally, as I understood the faith better and it became my faith, then I've taken off kind of on my own. <laughs> and you have taken off. You're very involved in lay ministry. You you do homebound ministry together as a couple. Um, it's, exactly. You, yeah. you actually inspired Chair me. elect of the Association Commission Lay Ministers and going to be doing more and more with that as we go forward so that is great but anyway um, i'm just happy to be here and, and talking about all this uh, yes today yes and you, we, so. we will get to that yeah. soon leon would you tell us just a little bit about yourself you're like a rapid city native also not, right oh no not a native my, okay my birth town is millbank and uh my family and i we moved out here in 1964 and uh you know entered the school program Rapid City Public Schools, and I graduated from high school in 1969. Okay. It was the last uh, year of the Rapid City High School. Oh, right, right. There were 2,400 of us in the, in the buildings there, and I think it was 854 of us graduated as seniors that year. <laughs> and then uh, I enrolled at the School of Mines that fall, and uh, that was the year when the draft was initiated and they had the lottery in December of, of 1969. And I drew a low number. Uh-oh. <laughs> and so I debated back and forth whether to continue in school or not, and I opted not to and just took my chances with the draft. And it uh, didn't take long. By April of 71, I was drafted, and I actually had a short, shorter term with uh, the with the army I was discharged in December of 71 and uh, once I got out of the, the army it was kind of like makeup time you know what are we going to do and uh, my high school one of my best friends from high school two of them in fact uh, Craig Malone and Bob Weber uh, we decided to do some vacationing and we took off and went down through the southwestern United States camping and climbing and just enjoying outdoor activities. Uh, Upon returning to Rapid, uh, Craig and I, uh, his father helped us find employment and we decided we needed a place of our own. So we rented this little two-bedroom bungalow off of uh, Chapel Chapel Lane and it was just across the street of where the Chop House restaurant is now. And so so this is the setting now, as, as you both yes. dive in and begin to tell us about your firsthand story. Right. Great. And, and uh, uh, continued working with that contractor, and then I got a tip from another dear friend, Mark Kenner, who is no longer with us. And he uh, was telling me about an employment opportunity with the railroad. And uh, so I inquired, and... Long story short, I ended up being hired my first day with the railroad was Monday, June 5th. Oh, before, yeah, right before the flood. And my assignment was in Belfouche. And the first week I met uh, Tim Roward, who was another co-worker who also lived in Rapid. So we started commuting together. And on Friday, June 9th, we drove up to Belfouche, and our work assignment was what's called the colony line west of Belfouche, and we were working near the state line. And uh, all day long we were watching the weather. We had 
sunny, clear skies where uh-huh. we were at. But these clouds kept coming in from the west, and they just kept building up on the western slope of the Black Hills. There wasn't any wind, and the, the cloud level was low, and there wasn't they weren't able to push on over the top of the hills. Yeah, so many people remarked on that. There was no wind, which for our area is super unusual, isn't it? <laughs> Especially this time of <laughs> day and age. Yes. So we're watching that, uh, those clouds build up, and by the time we were uh, released from work, around you know, it was 3.30, and it was just heavy, dark, black clouds, and the lightning, we could start, you know, the lightning was appearing then. We made our way back. We're headed back to Rapid City, and by the time we got to Whitewood, on the interstate, it was raining so hard that the windshield wipers couldn't keep up, and I was driving Tim's car at the time and slowed down to less than 50 miles an hour to make the drive into Rapid. And then we completed our trip, parted ways. I went back to the house that Craig and I were sharing, and... uh, you know, to settle in for a Friday night, kind of celebrate the first week of my job, new job, and and uh, you know, it just in the rains kept coming. We decided just to uh, shelter at home, and some other friends joined us, Ed Lee and others, and okay. the rest, as they say, is history. <laughs> yeah. so that was about, to... about that time when I was uh, closing up my shop. I. After I graduated, I started a small skiing, backpacking, climbing shop with a couple of partners. And we eventually I loved mountain boats. Did, <laughs> Sports. We did bi- bicycles, too. We even did hang gliders for a little bit. <laughs> but it was a lot of fun. But that night, I remember closing up shop. I was going to go join the guys over at Craig and, Malone, and uh, Leon's place. And... Um, it had started out, as Leon mentioned, such a beautiful day, but then throughout the day, the clouds came. I, you know, I don't really remember the rain that night when I closed the shop, but I do remember that it was dead calm, <clears throat> very eerie as the clouds were something like I've never seen before or since, and it was just a gray-green swirling mass. It was just so eerie. So I made my way over to their house. Our shop was on Jackson Boulevard next to Blessed Sacrament Church, and it's only about a mile over to their place. So I went over there, and it must have been raining, but I don't remember the rain at all right then. But anyway, so... Uh, I just recall that, you know, we talked about maybe going downtown and because of the rain, and we thought we'll just take a pass on that. Yeah. So we were uh, gathered there, and we were uh, there with <clears throat> Leon and Craig and uh, Leo McCright, uh, Jill LaCroix, friend of ours, as well as uh, a woman friend of ours, Branch, and we just can't remember her last name. And so, Branch, if you're out there, give us a call. <laughs> uh, and Scott Parlett, and Scott and uh, Jill have passed now, so they're no longer with us. But uh, the girls were going to bake pies that night. Leon remembers apple. I remember blueberry. But, you know, <laughs> after, <laughs> after 50 years, it's a little bit hard to remember Maybe all Maybe one of each. <laughs> Maybe one of each, yeah. <clears throat> but, yeah. We're going to play cards, uh, probably indulge in some uh, adult refreshments. So uh, we were kind of settled in for the night. And... Uh, we were playing the cards and listening to music, kind of uh, looking forward to the pies. And um, 
the rain was really coming down hard now. It was really intensifying. And uh, <clears throat> we noticed that the windows, well, we had these big, uh, they had these big patio um, windows with the vent windows at the bottom. Yeah. And kind of covered that whole wall to the, uh, it would have been to the east. And there was a kind of a drainage ditch between us and Chapel Lane. But we noticed the water kept coming up pretty soon and was uh, really encroaching um, on those windows. And the water started to seep through the uh, door to the house, the main, the only door in the house. Was and we're, we're going to actually, okay. Ed, we're going to stop right there. <laughs> Listeners, stay with us as we talk about um, some firsthand experiences from the Rapid City flood where we are coming on the 50th anniversary. And we're going to talk about, um, we're going to continue to talk about graced moments within the midst of this devastation of the flood as we go to break. Stay with us. Live, engaging, and local, this is Real Presence Live, where we bring you positive and uplifting stories and share the great things happening in our local area on the Real Presence Radio Network. Hello, this is Mike Kidrowski, the Director of Advancements for Real Presence Radio with today's Plan Giving Minute. Philanthropy is an expression of your generosity with the understanding that your gift to the church will make a difference. There are many ways in which you can make a gift to further God's work. Most of us are familiar with cash gifts we give regularly to Real Presence Radio. However, another way of contributing is through plan giving, which may allow you to give more than you've ever dreamed possible. The goal of plan giving is to help you plan your estate and charitable giving in a way that benefits you, your family, and our mission. There are several ways you can make these plan gifts and enjoy tax and income benefits. For more information, please visit our plan giving website at rprlegacy.org or call me at 701-290-4503. Let's get started. Real Presence Radio is available on Google Assistant devices, including Google Home, phones, tablets, and smart displays. To start this action, say something like, Okay, Google, talk to Real Presence Radio. It will then ask what station you want to play, to which you can respond, Play Sioux Falls, or Play AM 970, or Play WWEN. From there, you can use words like Play, Pause, and Stop. Listen to RPR anytime, anywhere, on Google Assistant devices. The Mustard Seed Catholic Store is South Dakota's place to purchase Catholic books, gifts, and decor. With locations in Rapid City and Sioux Falls, we are here to provide you with gifts for the Catholic occasions in your life. From baptism to First Communion, confirmation to weddings, and ordinations, we pride ourselves in having local artists share their creative talents, making rosaries, crucifixes, artwork, coffee, and books. We are located in Rapid City on Main Street, in the new Diocesan Building, or in Sioux Falls on Grange Avenue across from Costco. You're listening to Real Presence Live. Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard right here on the RPR Network. 
Kavorik, and I'm here today with special guests, um, and right now we're hearing from Leon and Ed. Um, they are talking about firsthand experiences in the Rapid City flood, and we are just approaching the 50th anniversary of the flood. So right before break, Ed was talking about, I could picture that water building up on the window, so we will take it from there. Leon. So Craig had the presence of mind. The water was starting to seep under the through the door. So we took the kitchen rug and rolled it up and put that up against there as a barrier. And then uh, we decided that we should get out of the building. And we went to the back bedroom, which was my bedroom, and we took the screen out of it, and we climbed out of there, waded through the water. And there was a civil defense team that was on higher ground out of the water from us. And we met up with them, and uh, we were told that there was a wall of water coming down Red Rock Canyon. And they were in the neighborhood there to evacuate the neighborhood. And, uh, you know, we'd been living in the neighborhood long enough. We knew that there were a number of elderly people that lived in the neighborhood. So we volunteered to help the civil defense uh, team with door knocking, and we made our way through the neighborhood and notified everybody and you know, advised them they needed to leave. We completed that and we regrouped uh, on Chapel Lane. Uh, the rains quit and uh, you know, it was getting cold and the water was receding. I mean, it dropped a, just a trickle in that ditch that Ed referred to and we decided to you know, go back in the house. Well, it did start to rain again and uh, before we got into the home and uh, resumed our activities. The pies went in the oven, right? They were in <laughs> the, the oven. <laughs> I have a photo of somewhere. I couldn't find it, but afterwards, the, the next day, we took photos of the situation, and the pies are still in the oven. With <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> but in any event, um, so we, um, you know, we... As I said, we resumed our activities, and then we planned to, uh, well, we were continually monitoring the situation. Yeah. And there were alerts on the news, and we received phone calls from friends. And, and uh, you know, I, it, it, go ahead. I was just going to interject here and just wondered what you all remember. I mean, over the years, we've had lots of warning about you know, their flood warnings, right? Mm-hmm. So people were of probably the mindset that evening, oh, it's not going to be anything, right? Or, or where were you guys? Do you remember that part? Well, I think... I mean, you were watching. We, we had, you we were had, vigilant. Yeah, we, yeah. We, we had, I guess, a false assurance because the water, we were told it was Red Rock Canyon, and that came and went, yes. and everything was closer to normal. Right, right. And But we, still, we... We maintained due diligence. We were watching what was going on. Yes. And at one point, I went to the kitchen door, well, the, the entry door that we had, and I looked out, and here was, a, I would say, 12, 13-year-old carrying a child and had a toddler with him walking towards the creek. Oh, my gosh. And we're like, no. <laughs> Wrong you can't. direction. <laughs> we inter- you know, intercepted him and said, you can't go there. You know? uh-huh. And uh, came to find out that he was directed to leave uh, where they were at, he was babysitting these two children for a couple who were at the dog track that night. And they were, well, you can't go there. Yeah. Come yeah. with us. And we got them inside, and, you know, uh, 
kind of miraculous for those kids right. to and link the boys, up with you. The, the young boys, uh, they were bathed, and we found what we could to fit them for some dry clothing, and and again, just kind of resumed our evening. And at one point, I went walked over to the bedroom again, and I looked out the window that we had vacated through earlier. And just because it was more towards the creek, even though it was pitch black. And I looked out the window, and the next house, the house next door to us, was raising up off the foundation. It had already started to float. Oh, my gosh. And it (laughs) apparently had an addition to it at one time, and it was broken to two pieces. And I came out of the bedroom and <laughs> whoa! Yeah, we were pretty we were pretty were, shocked. Because, were his uh, eyes big? <laughs> well, Leon went into the room. We figured he was you know looking around, but uh, also about that time, Craig's mom called him and uh, Loretta and Harvey Malone are longtime parishioners of Blessed Sacrament Church. But so she was worried about Craig. Yes, <clears throat> she knew that he was close to. The creek, and so she called, and so he's on the phone, and then Leon goes into his bedroom, and what'd you say when you came back out? I said, the neighbor's house just floated away, <laughs> <laughs> and about that time, uh, the, the windows that Ed described earlier, also there was a, a set of those in the living room area, and as I stepped in to make the announcement, a chunk of glass broke out of one of the windows, about you know, a f- foot across, maybe foot yeah. in diameter or so. And it was just like the fire hydrant had been turned on and the water just shot through that into the oh middle of the, the living room. <laughs> now we realize we're in trouble. <laughs> yeah, right. So Craig's on the phone with his mom and uh, water starts coming. And he says, Mom, we got to go. So drops the phone on oh, the floor. No. And uh, so all the last she heard was gurgle, gurgle, oh gurgle. Oh, my you know? gosh. So, There's another poor mom oh, having a f- mm-hmm. Wow. Exactly. <laughs> So, you know, we were freaking out at that time, of course, and uh, so we decided to take off, and uh, we went to the entrance door, and uh, Craig, he was a tall enough guy, so he broke out the window and everything so we could ex- get yeah. out. Yeah, yeah the, the water pressure, the water was up a couple feet, already. there was no way we could open the door to eat, eat oh, yeah. the egress, and uh, so we... Bailed out of that window and got into the water, wow. and um, you know we had the two little guys with us, and the civil defense team was on high ground. We only needed to go maybe fifty yards, yeah. uh, you know, Not maybe far. a little bit more than that. And as we were waiting, it was it was waist deep. Oh my gosh! And uh, whoever was trying to carry one of those small children couldn't maintain balance in the water and down we'd go oh my gosh kept passing the the children back and forth the other adults would pull the other one up out of the water wow and that's one thing that a lot of people don't realize about a flash flood i mean we lived in seattle area for a while and there there's flooding quite often but it's a very low slow rise of the water here, we were in water that later on we found was 30 to 35 miles an hour. Wow. Uh, water flowed through that, so we just weren't able to deal with that. Right. And the through. debris yeah. that floated by and all of that. Oh, there's not a lot so of debris. There. Yeah. Right. Not right. at that time. It was pretty clear. We was didn't it? get hit by anything, but then uh, the, whoever was leading the civil defense team said, go back to the house. Okay. Get, get on the roof. So we turned around and 
unfortunately, two of the vehicles that we had parked in front of the house washed up next to the house, and they, they were wedged in between the corner of the house and the corner post on the patio. And we climbed up on the trunk and then onto the roof. It was positioned just right. We got Craig up, I think, first on the roof, and then Ed and I were... What I remember, we were like throwing them up onto the roof. <laughs> and, you know, we had so much adrenaline that Craig was up oh, there yeah? to help pull yeah. them out. And then uh, Leon. I believe I was the last one to get off the vehicle, and I could feel the car moving oh. underneath my feet. Oh, my goodness. And they pulled me up on the roof, and uh, the water rose enough where the cars changed position, and they just drove down the oh. the water. You know, just to pause there for a minute, I mean, look at... You know, I just I just have to think that's a God thing. You know, the way those cars got positioned and wedged, just enough time for you guys to all get up on the roof and help those children. Um, Otherwise, it, there wouldn't have been any way for us to get right up to on get the on roof. the roof. You know, so and and these stories, yours is not the only one like this. I have read and heard of more stories where you know, like I think Merlin's, it was like a house wedged so that she could get where she needed to be. And I, I'm like, to me, those are all the, um, you know, the fingerprints of God all over those things. With um, you know, just as just as you talk about that, I'm just I'm just in awe. Um, you know, I'm just in awe of that that providence for yeah. for you guys back then you know obviously god had important things for your lives he wanted you around for a while for sure mm-hmm. so so what next well uh, we're on the roof okay okay and listeners picture that they are on the roof and uh, for whatever reason i grabbed the quilt off my bed when i was in the bedroom and it, probably because it was made by my grandmother it was a patchwork oh. quilt made of wool and I grabbed that, and we're hunkered up on the roof trying to figure out what we're going to do. And we tried to discuss options, but we literally had to shout to each other, you know, just like head to head in order to have a conversation because of all the noise. And oh. Explosions from... Uh, oh, gas. gas. Explosions. Well, there were gas, and there were, um, you know, power transformers, thunder... I mean, it just and all the and by then was when the debris started going downstream. Okay, yeah. So there's a lot of crashing and stuff. Yeah, as place. things crashed into each other. Yeah. So we we put the two boys underneath the blanket to keep them comfortable as comfortable as we could, and then we rotated underneath the blanket because we got cold. I mean, it was oh my a gosh. cold. Yeah, that was the strange and, thing about it. The day was really a warm day, and then uh, during this time with that. Wind oh, and, and the all lightning the, and the rain. And you were and, wet. Yeah, really, yes. got, really got chilly. Yeah. yeah. All right, listeners. So keep that image in your mind. Um, keep the image of them all on the roof together and huddling under this blanket and taking turns. And we will be back with you shortly to talk about more of these memories from the Rapid City Flood of 1972. Um, the 50th anniversary is coming up shortly on June 9th. So stay with us for uh, for more of this story. Dr. Kathleen Kavorik here at Terrasanta Retreat is Center. Presence Live, where the focus is not on the evil around us, but on conversion and mercy through the good news that is always good. We're local, engaging, and live on the Real Presence Radio Network. 
know that your prayers today can still aid in the salvation of someone who died years ago? I'm Father Chris Alar. God is outside of time, and since He is all-knowing and all-powerful, He knows every prayer you will ever make and has the power to apply those graces to any point in time, past, present, or future. So if you have lost anyone, especially to suicide, and think that they are eternally lost, you can still help them. God can take your prayers from today and give someone grace at the time of their judgment because he forever knew that you would make that prayer and he wants you to help them accept his offer of salvation. So there is still hope. Please visit suicideandhope.com so I can personally pray for anyone you've lost and to get our book, After Suicide, There's Hope for Them and You, which helps with any kind of suffering or loss, not just suicide. I promise it will help. This is Dr. Ryan Sapo with Lumen Vision in Fargo. Lumen Vision specializes in pediatric eye care and vision therapy. We partner with a national infant eye exam program called Infant C, which provides eye exams for any baby under 12 months old. Many of the major childhood eye problems, such as lazy eyes, eye turns, and ocular diseases, can be detected in this early intervention exam. Infant C eye exams can be scheduled online at www.lumen.vision. Lumen Vision is a proud supporter of babies everywhere and a proud sponsor of Real Presence Radio. Did you know you can listen to all your favorite local shows like Awaken and Real Presence Live on any podcast platform such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and Amazon Music? Just search for Real Presence Radio on your favorite podcast platform. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes in the future. And don't forget to give us a good rating so others can discover the shows. Listen to your favorite RPR shows anytime, anywhere by subscribing on any podcast platform. Just search for Real Presence Radio today. This is Real Presence Live on the RPR Network, bringing you stories of faith and hope through local hosts and guests from across the Upper Midwest. Now, back to the show. This is Kathleen Kavorik, and I am here today with special guests Ed Lee and Leon Fenhouse, and we are talking about their firsthand experience during the Rapid City Flood of 1972, and we're just coming on the 50th anniversary of that. And we're calling this segment Flood of Devastation, Flood of Grace. So we are looking for some of God's grace and providence in the midst of the devastation that, um, that occurred here in Rapid City, South Dakota. So where were we? <laughs> we'll, well pick uh, we, it back up. <laughs> we had just uh, just gotten up on the roof yes, and uh, up on the roof. spread out along the gable there. If you could imagine, ten of us, including the seven of us plus the three little ones, and spread up on the roof. And uh, the night was just uh, incredible. It was super dark, but with the flashes of lightning, it would just be just like daylight. And then the terrible booms, I mean, it was right there, the lightning. So it was just, we were right in the middle of the storm, exploding gas lines and just the wind and everything. The noise was intense. And And uh, even the rush of the water was... Oh, my gosh. rush of the water. And, you know, there's a lot of debris coming down out of the canyon. So there are trees and logs, sections of roof, and sections of houses would go by as we'd see those flashes. And... You would see the, you know, we'd get that flash of light and it would just be like daylight and we'd see a house going by and then it'd get dark and you'd hear it crash into the trees. There's a lot of stands of cottonwood trees and so forth up above Canyon Lake Dam there and uh, they would just be ripped to 
pieces by those trees, 30 to 35 mile hour yeah, of the flood water. waters taking those structures down. And um, uh, the sky was just unbelievable. That was swirling in darkness. But I, I remember one scene that stayed with me in nightmares for 40 years, and that was uh, in one of the flashes of lightning, I saw a section of wall, and there were two little boys holding on to each other tightly, um, and then it got dark because the flash went away, and then you hear the crash of things running into the trees, and I just, just oh. couldn't imagine the fright and that they had. I doubt very much if they survived that night, so they were probably in the listings of the dead. So I prayed for them and thought about that so many times, and it's just been recently I haven't had that nightmare, nightmare. waking me up with the sweats in the middle I, of the I night. hope the show doesn't reignite <laughs> yeah. that end. You know, it, it already has as we've been thinking through this. About, yeah. But uh, anyway, so it was uh, it was just amazing, the sounds. And uh, we, <laughs> I remember us spread out on the roof praying loudly and singing every Christian song that we could think of. I especially remember Kumbaya <laughs> as we huddled there. <laughs> oh, no, Kumbaya again. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, you do that. Uh, you know, that that is such a human thing to uh, song. How amazing. That had to have lifted your spirits as yeah. you sang or just... Or did it just help you hang in there, or what? Well, what do you? Yeah, it, I think it did that. It just helped us maintain our composure as best we could. <laughs> yeah. But I think the the largest influence that night were the children. Mm, yes. And our, you know, our attention, our focus turned on, on them. to those boys and what we could mm-hmm. do to take care of them. And amazingly enough, the two young ones fell asleep. <sighs> They were sleeping under that quilt while we were dealing with everything around us. You know, so we, we apparently were doing something right. Well, you know, and I just picture that even, Ed, as you're talking about the prayer and the singing. Like, they, they probably felt the Lord's presence, that they could fall asleep. Unreal, you guys. And that you, you know, you provided that little nest of comfort for them. Incredible. Incredible. You were strangers so to them. Security. You were total strangers. That's that's absolutely beautiful. But to Leon, I just see that beauty of that that patchwork quilt wool of your grandma's that you brought to the roof that, you know, again, what an inspiration. And, you know, I, I can just see you all taking turns and then covering those kids up. And, you know, how beautiful, how beautiful that is. Small things, but... Uh, to me, small little miracles and blessings all along, oh, all along the, the way. When you look back, you know sometimes you don't see it right in the midst, do well, you? And one of the major ones too is that now we're up there and uh, all this debris coming down the canyon and uh, floating by us. Every, now and then a log or something would hit the house and it would just shake. And we had seen the other houses around us floating Lipped away. off, yes. So much larger ones. There's much larger ones. Uh-huh. And Leon remembers um, about the structures. Uh, right. Yeah, across the, um, I think it was an alley, because we couldn't find a street name when we did some searching on it. But across the alley, uh, there was another residence, and it had an unattached garage, and the garage had a car in it. 
and the water is continuing to rise. Even after the dam failed, the water kept rising. And this garage with the automobile in it starts to float. And it's directly in line with our home. Oh. <laughs> but there were, Yikes. there were a number of uh, Siberian elm trees that were mature trees that were uh, on the edge of the yard. And that garage and car hit that, and the garage just crumbled. It just came apart. Oh, my goodness. And all that, the car and the debris all went around the house. And we're like, wow, we dodged that one. (laughs) Wow. You know, because the other possibility would be it could have hit the trees, and the trees could have ended up on you all, you know, in those huge trees. Uh, Uh, Wow. And so we kept, you know, every time we see something that was even more threatening, it's like, well, what are we going to do? And it's like, there's these trees here, and maybe try to grab one of them, you know. Oh, you were planning ahead. You were going, okay. Yeah, Yeah, because you'd seen all those people go by in houses. We figured it was probably going to be inevitable that we were going to be going downstream. Yeah. So across the street at that time, there was a a ranch-style structure. It's still there. It was a combination uh, residence and country store. And they had a sign in the front of it announcing the country store. And we're monitoring the water. We're monitoring uh, the water level in relationship to that sign. Oh, and it yeah. kept climbing and climbing and climbing. And eventually it got high enough and we're, we're looking. And now that country store structure and residence is moving. It's starting oh to gosh. float, and we're like, okay, this one, the trees, <laughs> this is the big nothing's going to stop this one, you know. <laughs> and uh, just we continued to watch, just waiting for it to take off, and it turned, and then it set back down on the foundation. Oh, my goodness. And there, there was a corner was pointing into the current, and it just created this huge eddy, and we're in this, like, wow. this calm area of water now oh my goodness we're like oh okay (laughs) we dodged this one again (laughs) and then uh watching the sign and then the the water starting to recess it's starting to drop been about 11 30 i think we were okay yeah uh, yeah water started to to, to drop so so how many hours were you out on the roof then about do you think? I have no clue. I and mean, it, it only just... would have been maybe, uh, we remember Love Boat started. <laughs> that was, oh, oh, yeah, that's that, right. You were watching the Love Boat. TV. Oh, my gosh. Well, I don't know if we were <laughs> watching it. It was on. We were play, trying to play cards. Too, Wait but for I just the think, pies. <laughs> but I distinctly remember that. And it came on after the nightly news, the night news. So it oh, yeah. started like 1035. So it wasn't much later than that when yeah. And then, so that would have been about an hour or so oh, that okay. we were up there. I mean, it seemed like much longer. And it might have been. I just, so for some reason, think it was, it was still before midnight when uh-huh. we got down from the house. But So uh, the water's, I have I no don't, clue. the water's receded and then you came back off the roof? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it got it down safe. low enough and the civil defense team, they were there the whole time. They were watching. Oh, oh, great. And the water receded oh, enough where they, you know, we decided to drop off. It was you know, it may be shin deep by then. Uh-huh. And we just bailed off and met up with them, and they loaded us up and took us to 
somebody's residence and said, here, you need to take these people in. in Yes. And people did just take people in, didn't they? I mean, I remember... I remember out on near our road at the time we lived in the country. It's now in the middle of the city. But um, someone's car had broken down. It was a couple days after the flood. And this young couple with a couple children, um, their, their car had been in the flood. They had been one of those that had the car had taken off and they were able to grab trees. They spent the entire night in trees. And, you know, we just took them in. They just came and stayed with us for several days while their car got fixed. You know, that sort of outpouring just happened all over the place where, um, and it was, it was beautiful to see that spirit of caring for each other that happened in our town. You know, I mean, it wasn't all roses. I heard, I read in Merlin's story, some kind of creepy stuff of people ripping off houses afterwards. And, you know, there's always that element too, but overall, you know, so interesting. They were just taken in. Then what happened to the kids? Well, uh, the next morning, uh, and I don't remember exactly the details, but I do know that we turned them over to a National Guard medical team. Okay. And I think it was a week or so later, I happened to meet, you know, doing railroad work, repair work. And I happened to meet this officer, and I asked him, you know, about the children. And the only information I got was what he was able to share was that uh, we did a thorough examination of them and said they had no issues. They were fine, and they were returned back to their parents. So it would be really wonderful if any of the listeners out there happen to know of these children. Um, if, if you would get in touch with me and my email. My email is Kathleen at realpresenceradio.com, and I would love to hook you back up with Leon and Ed um, if, if anyone knows of that story. So, listeners, stay with us. Uh, we are going to talk a little bit more. We'll, we'll finish Ed and Leon's story, and we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, some of the leadership that happened in the flood and ways that people pulled together. So stay with us here on Real Presence Live. Stay with us. There's more Real Presence Live to come on the Real Presence Radio Network. This is Father Pfeiffer of the Diocese of Fargo just taking a moment to recognize the dignity and the purpose of prayer in our life. You know, as we drive through the countryside and the prairies here in the Midwest, there you see many farmsteads that have been abandoned. Many times the soul can be like those farmsteads in many ways of preventive maintenance is not used. And the shingles fall off. And all of a sudden, after many years without, the building starts to collapse. The same can be true with our soul. That's why it's important that we acknowledge God every day. We relate to him the good, the bad, the joys, the struggles, the difficulties, the pains, and the burdens. After we acknowledge God and we relate, it's important also to sit in silence, to receive the goodness of God, to hear the voice of God. Many people get discouraged in prayer because the receiving is the most difficult part. We need to remember Moses did not hear the voice of the Lord for 40 years. He lived. He did the will of God. When God does not act, we do not hear his voice. He is still doing things in and through our hearts. I'm Father Richard Kunst with a Papal Minute. The Church has had saintly popes, but has also survived sinful ones. 
Among the darkest periods in history of the papacy was the 9th and 10th centuries. If there is one personification of these dark times, it is a woman named Morosia, who is thought to have been the mistress of Pope Sergius III. Leaving aside the salacious rumors about Morosia, the noteworthy detail that most certainly sets her apart from anyone else is how many popes she was related to. Morosia was grandmother to Popes John XII and Benedict VII. Her great-grandsons were Benedict VIII and John XIX, and her great-great-grandson was Benedict IX. Were it not for her illicit involvement in the papacy, this would be one heck of an impressive family tree. This has been your Papal Minute. To learn more, visit papalartifacts.com. That is papalartifacts.com. This is Father Richard Kunst. If you enjoyed this Papal Minute, you'll want to see the Papal Artifacts Collection on display here in Duluth, Minnesota, August 19th through 21st, this summer, 2022. For more information, go to vaticanunveiled.com. This is Real Presence Live on the RPR Network, bringing you stories of faith and hope through local hosts and guests from across the Upper Midwest. Now, back to the show. This is Kathleen Kavorik, and I'm here. Our segment we're doing today is called Flood of Devastation, Flood of Grace. And we're talking about the Rapid City Flood that happened back in 1972. Um, We're coming on the 50th anniversary of that, which will be on June 9th. And um, we're, we're talking about a lot of the God incidences and some of the many miracles that have happened. And we're going to finish hearing from two special guests here, Ed Lee and Leon Fenhouse. And Kathy Cortez, the uh, archivist from the Diocese of Rapid City, is here with us, too. We're going to end our hour talking a little about also the leadership um, and, and some of the wonderful things that happened on the other end of the flood. So we'll turn it back, Leon and Ed, for some parting comments. All right, so yeah, so it's a morning after now, and um, we came out. I don't remember what the weather was really like. I don't think it was raining anymore, but I don't remember sun or whatever. But we came out, and it was total devastation. I mean, there was a foot of mud everywhere, and um, houses gone, um, a lot of damage, a lot of debris piled up against houses, and hard to get around, but we made our way down to where Rapid Creek um, typically had a bridge over it to get to Jackson Boulevard, yes. and of course the bridge was gone and we were cut off, but we were able to talk to our parents across the <laughs> across the way and let them know we were okay, but uh, because there was really no communication, you know, phones were down, um, no electricity, water, no water. Um, so we were on the missing list for a couple of days there. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, we were able to, we kind of ended up splitting up at that time, but we were able to get out of there with various ways. Leon remembers going out with a friend of his. I remember getting in a suburban, I think, with somebody from that neighborhood that took us out through the four-wheel drive trails to get up to um, Sheridan Lake Road and then back into town. But uh, Leon remembers a little bit more. I remember uh, one of the things about the devastation was <laughs> my car had been needing repairs, so it was in the repair shop, and I had borrowed my mother's car. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. 
I can see where this is going. Uh, <laughs> she loved that car, and it uh, it was one of the ones that floated away, and we found it later on in Canyon Lake uh, underneath oh. a pile of other cars. So Wow. <clears throat> Poor mom. She, she, kept, she kept reminding me about that for many <laughs> all years. All through your life. We're all through her life. Yeah. Well, and, and I'd come returned from the service, and I didn't have a vehicle. So my parents had acquired an extra one from my uh, from an aunt, and they allowed you know loaned that to me, and that too ended up in the bottom of Canyon Lake, <laughs> oh upside down, and but uh, yeah, so that I was really lucky. We lived high on a hill. <laughs> And I live high on a hill now. Now, yes, you do. <laughs> after you know, the next thing after we were able to communicate, shouting across what was Rapid Creek and the in the area where the bridge used to be, um, communicated that we were all right. And um, Bob Weber happened to be one that was across there, and he said he was going to get a vehicle, and he came through from also from Sheridan Lake Road and with four-wheel drive with mm-hmm. some other individuals, and we just started the process of retrieving anything that was salvageable of value out of the house. And then uh, we took that up to the LaCroix residence, and we spread all the clothing and everything out on the back lawn. And first thing we did was hose it all out, try to get all the silt out of it, and then uh, did the laundry after that, and I got reconnected with uh, contacts with the railroad, and I went back to work Monday, Monday morning, and in the next two weeks, I worked 166 hours. Oh my goodness! Rebuilding track that had been washed out. Oh yeah. And some of that work we didn't, you know, we completed way late in the night, and there was a martial law. Mayor Barnett had declared right. martial law. I remember that. And coming into town and we got stopped it was like what are you guys doing out here and you know, we're just covered in mud and everything so, well we've been building building railroad and you know got escorted to where we needed to go but yeah so yeah that was uh that was pretty amazing i mean just you know as heavily built as railroad tracks are it literally broke the track apart. Yeah, that's that just, just is incredible, isn't right it? Yeah, yeah, kind of like that devastation you see going to the nine eleven museum where mm-hmm. steel girders are just, you know, amazing. You know, are just destroyed. It's yeah, the floodwaters. Um, well, I got back people, into town, you know, with the guy in the suburban. Went to my mother's house, and that was a bit of a moment of the holy presence for me because six months before the flood my mother had sold our family home which was on west st louis street uh, right next to rapid creek yeah and that that house did float away and there was a young child six year old that i think was lost in that flood um but i so i was staying with her in the apartment that she moved into and so I, I went out and helped where I could with the civil defense and National Guard, giving water, you know, hauling water out, and so forth. And luckily, I never found any bodies, but we did a lot of searching too. So. Yeah, I bet you dreaded finding bodies. You know, along that line, my mother would come home white-faced every day. She was one that volunteered in the morgues because she's a nurse. 
And she's a very strong woman. And I had, as a teenager, I had never seen her um, so white-faced, you know. And it was horrendous dealing, helping, so she helped people identify their loved ones. And as you can imagine, you know, the days of recovery of some of them, it was it was a difficult task, and that that was amazing. Some of some of what happened um, in the recovery, like Kathy, you had said that um, you know different little areas were set up as morgues, like in the church basement or in the, in the perpetual in the school. help school, which is now St. Thomas More Middle School. They used as a morgue had rows and rows and rows of white sheets. Um, Sister Eleanor described it as piles under these white sheets and they asked the sisters to help to to help identify these people but there was no way they were just so bloated and what have you from from the water and things that that was just that's one thing that stuck with her is seeing these bodies and i did read a story about a diver um, who helped you know um, diving in the water and once he found a child he was done and he's never dove since. Yeah. You know, so the memories, the nightmares are tremendous. You know, and I just have to remark on our incredible leadership all over the city. Um, I would just say our mayor, Don Barnett, was amazing. Um, they, boy, they just moved so quickly. They developed six pillars um, that they, you know, that they're, all their decisions went around. They quickly created a floodplain, which is now our beautiful bike path. You know, that's, so that's one of the miracles I, I just want to end our little segment with together is, you know, today you all walk on that. You know, we have that going all through our city because Rapid Creek it flows right through the center of town. And we have a place of beauty that has come out of those ashes, which um, is just absolutely remarkable. Um, Obviously, the loss of life was a terrible tragedy. But yes. for Lap- Rapid City and its economic development and its uh, position in the world is just uh, was helped so much by that flood experience. So, so there's our beautiful parks and pathways. Yes, we're we are so grateful for that, um, and we are going to now go back to North Dakota, where Eli is going to tell us about what's coming up for us on Real Presence Live on Monday. And just a shout out to Eli, who this is his last day, and we're all crying here about that. But um, he's just absolutely delightful; has been a joy to work with, and and we pray a a prayer of blessing on Eli and bless the people who will come and take his place. So um, turning it over to you, Eli, there in North Dakota. Well, thanks, Kathy. I don't know how I can follow that introduction, but <laughs> we do have another great show coming up on Monday's Real Presence Live. That's hosted by Brandon Clark and John Clark coming to you live from our Fargo studios. They'll visit with Father William Slattery of the Diocese of Fargo. He'll tell us what the chaplain's role is. Then Terry Schilling from the American Principles Project will talk about standing up for the rights of the family. Plus, Thomas Escrow will talk about fatherhood and the Eucharist. All that and a whole lot more is coming up on the next Real Presence Live. That's Monday morning, 9 to 11 a.m. Central, here on the Real Presence Radio Network. Or, of course, you can listen online at realpresenceradio.com. Right back to you. So uh, I wanted to share just a little quote from our then-mayor, Donald Barnett, and a shout-out to him. Um, he's He has been very involved with some of the flood programs that are, are coming 
uh, coming up with the June 9th date ahead of us. He said, uh, Mayor Barnett said, the true heroes of the Rapid City flood story, however, are the victims who survived it, who refused to collapse under the strain of personal, emotional, and financial stress and move forward to achieve both family and personal recovery. So, um, and, and I really do think that that kind of encapsulates it. Kathy, it you does. you had a little quote too that you from wanted Father to Edwards, share. who has who has a phenomenal story of his. But his one of his lines in his story is, "I came to you, Lord, with nothing when I became a Jesuit, and now I come to you again with nothing after the Rapid City flood." So on that note, dear listeners, we will leave you. And I just pray for all of God's blessings in your life. Keep running the race, keep your eyes on the Lord, and keep fanning the flames. This has been Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Real Presence Live brings you inspirational stories of faith and a look at the good and holy things happening in our local area. Weekday mornings from 9 to 11 Central. Tune in for an encore of each show beginning Saturday morning at 6. Get the podcast any time of day or night at yourcatholicradiostation.com or on the Real Presence radio app. And remember, you can be a part of the conversation through Facebook and Twitter. Real Presence Live, local, engaging, and live on the Real Presence Radio Network.